Hi, Agumon Church. If we haven't met yet, sorry if I look a little bit familiar. Maybe I don't look familiar at all. My name's John, and I get the privilege of being the youth pastor here at Eaglemont Church. And working with youth is kind of an interesting thing because, you know, you, aside from hearing all the interesting teenage drama, you also get just interesting complexities in life. And one of my favorite parts and pieces of life as a whole, but also a challenge as well, is just the, the balance between freedom and restriction. And from going from a child to a teenager to an adult, there's kind of one thing that stands out in my mind. I know it's a little bit strange, but it's dancing. Now, I'm not gonna get up here and you know show you some of my dance moves. I don't think anyone wants to see that. I don't think I do either, honestly. But, you know, as some of us move on into our older age, some of us, man, just love to boogie and keep going on when we get older. Some of us, maybe we only clap our hands and tap our feet. And others of us, maybe we dance our heart out. And uh, yeah, we know we probably shouldn't. Um, but either way, we all have an idea and an expectation of like what dancing should be. Some of us have a completely different one than someone else. And all of these impact the way we dance, how we dance, and the standards that we set. And the implications of these create our success, our view, and our interpretation of what it should look like. And today being Palm Sunday, we also do see this in Jesus's life. We see him as someone who has certain interpretations and certain implications placed upon him, not only in the past, but also in the presence today. So Jesus is at the climax of his ministry. There's many voices and many people saying and thinking different things, but the impact of Jesus himself changed the impact of those who followed him through it all, as well as those who were looking from a distance. And it all begins as Jesus walks into Jerusalem. So looking at the very beginning, Matthew 21 1 says, As they approached Jerusalem, being Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, on the Mount of Olives. So it doesn't really seem like much, like there's much that we can really get out of it. But the image that you might have in mind is that Jesus and his disciples were by themselves. That's what I thought since I was a kid until, well, a couple years ago, but still, for quite a while. But this wasn't actually the case. See, this was the Passover season, meaning that people from all over the place, Galilee, everywhere, would come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast and meal. And basically the point of this was referencing all the way back to Moses, where he tells the people of Israel from God to paint the blood of a lamb on their door frames so that the angel of death would pass over. And many here were likely walking with Jesus and his disciples in this time. Many heard of Jesus and his miracles and what he had done and over this long, grueling trek, Jesus asks his disciples a simple request. So we see this in Matthew 21, 2 3. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find donkey, a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, says, say that the Lord 
needs them. And he will send them right away. Okay, <laughs> so being a disciple wouldn't be easy. See, I mean, Jesus is like asking them to go ahead and get a donkey, okay, fair enough. But if anyone asks them anything, then they respond with, the Lord needs them? In my opinion, I would say that the disciples are kind of left with a bit of a tough decision here. So they can choose to follow Christ and what he said and have faith in that, or they can choose to proceed in such a way that they actually walk away or lose their trust in Christ completely. Now see, in life we all have decisions that we make, choosing to go one way or another, and being a sibling myself, we also make those decisions with our siblings. So me being a kid, you know, one of the best things about being a younger brother is bothering your siblings. Now, for me, you know, there's a, there's a good poking method. That's what I like to do. So I'd poke my sister, she'd tell me to stop. I'm like, but this is really fun. So I'd poke her again, and again, she'd be telling me to stop. She's like, I'm gonna tell mom and dad. So I keep going, and the second she's like, mom, dad. I'd just like sit up straight, pretend I'm like a golden child. Not saying that you should follow after that, but it's making the point here that, you know, like, the disciples not only could choose to follow away or choose to follow Christ, but they also could choose to deny in such a way. They had the potential of doing one thing and saying another at the same time. Now, you might say out of these three choices, like pff, obviously the disciples are gonna choose to follow Jesus. They've known him for three years. They've been following after him, living with him. How can they not trust him? But honestly, what Jesus' request is, is kind of crazy. Not only are they without Jesus, but he's asking them to just randomly go up to a guy, take his donkey, which kind of sounds like stealing, but kind of in the same line, still giving it back. It's a, the donkey being a large part of someone's livelihood takes that, and then saying the Lord needs it and hoping, fingers crossed, that they are gonna make it out okay. I think there would be a little bit of hesitancy there. Aside from knowing that they would give it back, man, like, <laughs> that's kind of a big ask. But they made the decision to follow what Christ said, to choose the unknown and choose the seemingly ridiculous in the midst of it. Now, their, their faith in the words of Jesus was clearly shown through here. But it doesn't mean it wasn't impossible to doubt and it doesn't mean it wasn't possible to hesitate in the actions of the unknown. In John 2:16, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So they didn't even understand any of the implications of this until after Christ's death, resurrection, and going back to heaven. So the disciples only somewhat understood who Jesus was. They didn't actually understand him in his fullness. They may not have verbally asked questions, at least in the moment, but they had in the past. Even though they questioned, they continued to see it through. And in their lack of knowledge, they continued to follow after Christ. See, they took a step of faith. And many times we can come up into this position where we don't know what's gonna happen. Where we question, where we ask God, I don't know what's next, I don't know what the next step is, I don't know how to make this right. And many times in the end result, we can be too fearful to take the next step. And we can ask ourselves a question, God, where are you? What's happening? When many times 
we know what we should do, but we don't really want to take it. And as we follow God, just as the disciples were following Jesus, we gain faith the more steps that we take. It just takes one step, one singular step to start following. And the disciples took that one step to start walking, walking to the next city, getting the donkey, and bringing him back. So Jesus asked them to grab this donkey. And see, it had a really important role. In fact, it kind of accumulated this whole starting piece of Jesus being the Messiah, at least seeing it when he came into Jerusalem. It fulfilled the prophecy thousands of years ago. And we see this outlined in Matthew. Matthew 21, 45 says, this took place to fill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. And this was imprinted and taught by the rabbis onto the minds of those who were Jewish. And Jesus made the conscious decision to follow this. In the past, Jesus would tell people to be quiet about who he was, but in this moment, this was the moment where he would choose to present himself as the Messiah. And even though people understood this reference, it didn't really mean they understood who he was. To the people of Israel, their likely understanding of what the Messiah would be would be someone who would take them out of the oppression of being under the Romans. And no one was expecting Jesus to ride on a donkey. The understanding would be that he would be a warrior. Aside from the smell of a donkey, aside from it not listening to you being noisy and probably not the most fun animal to ride. Jesus makes the point of being a humble king riding into Jerusalem. And these actions made a statement. So aside from being humble, not being what they expected, Jesus also represented himself as a king of peace. See, Christ made a declaration against the status quo. He chose humility over pride and arrogance, and he chose peace over war. He was expected to bring the people up in arms to go against the Romans, but Jesus, in fact, got in the way of the popular understanding of a militant Messiah. And Christ presented himself counterculturally, but he was acting in such a way that he had what God had in mind as the target. See, Christ knew his role. He knew what needed to be done to fulfill the role of being the savior of the world. He placed himself in such a way to be known by the people. And it was at this place and time that Jesus knew the people needed to know who he was. And so as the donkey comes back his disciples place their cloaks onto the donkey and Jesus sits on it, making a point of Jesus' lordship as well as the, the servitude that the disciples had to Christ. 
And Luke, being another eyewitness account of this event, states in Luke 19.37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. See, the context here is Jesus had, had just, prior to this, raised Lazarus from the dead, done many miracles which people would know. And the people began to spread their cloaks onto the road ahead, like a red carpet for Jesus walking into Jerusalem, the King of Kings. Others would shout joys of praise, and others would run to find palm trees, or palm branches, sorry, to lay down on the road as a symbol of welcome for a warrior or a king returning from battle, a period of rejoicing. It's like a Christmas Hallmark movie, or to those who don't watch Hallmark movies, um, it's like the hope and dream of when the Oilers finally win the Stanley Cup. And there was joy for what they thought Jesus should be. It was a triumphal entry. And Jesus entering the city, it was probably packed with so, so thousands and thousands of people. It's a crazy sight to be seen. In fact, the idea of the city being stirred literally meant to be shaken, which is kind of like a seismic activity of people just roaring through the streets. And the praise of the people was clear. They shouted and sang, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So that whole day, no matter who you were, where you were, people shared, however small in a sacrifice associated to the event of Christ's coming. Someone gave a donkey, people laid down their, their cloaks, people sacrificed their time, their energy, without fully understanding fully who Jesus was. And Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice. So the people shouted, Hosanna, which literally means save us. Save us, we pray. It originally meant that it was for help, but turned into a praise. It shouted the reality of what they needed and what they wanted. They need, needed, they felt like they needed, they needed somebody to save them in their physical reality. And Matthew 21, 10 to 11 says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowd replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Galilee. So those who had been following Jesus from the beginning, who had heard it all, who'd heard about it, those who had only heard and those who had seen the miracles only viewed Jesus through a certain lens. They, they didn't fully understand, they didn't fully recognize who Jesus was in his fullness. The answer of being the prophet of Nazareth 
is a big piece here. Matthew's making the point that the people answered truthfully, but it was inadequate to who Jesus was. They answered with confidence without a full knowledge. See, Jesus being perceived as the King Messiah was not in its fullness because they didn't see him as the suffering servant. After hearing Jesus' preaching and teaching, seeing miracles, people began to ascribe him as the Messiah from their own convictions of what they understood. The expectations upon Jesus was not only a reality of those in Jesus' age, but is a reality today. What are the expectations that you place on Jesus? Who do you see the person of Jesus to be. To some of us, Christ might be our Lord and our Savior. To others, he might be a guy who failed to answer. To another, he might be a man who just died, and to some, they might not even believe he exists. And sometimes we can answer just like those who are answering in Jerusalem. We can answer a a situation or a circumstance. We can know an answer, but when it doesn't completely go to the way we had in mind, we can doubt. We can reject or we can neglect certain pieces of who God is because of who we are. And many times, as I said, we miss the mark. We can expect God to work in a certain way and there are times We can take that to a point of making a wrong decision. I've heard stories of friends and time and time again where people fall away completely because God failed our expectations. People then and now bring Jesus onto their own terms. We can want Jesus to conform to our own situation. But Romans 9.20 asks us a good question. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? See, we ask these questions about God and we have an answer, but when it doesn't go our way, many times we ask question why and sometimes that brings us to a hard heart, but the thing that we forget many of the times is the acknowledgement of how much God loves us through it all, that he has a plan for you and for me. And so Jesus coming into this whole situation, riding on a donkey, people cheering from outside as he's walking in, and even more as he enters, he knows the situation of each and every person in there. And the current situation of today and in the past, he knew. He understood the hurt. He understood the pain. He understood the confusion. He understood it all. And he knew he was entering triumphantly. He knew the understanding of the people there. But internally, he was walking to his true purpose, his true purpose to suffer on the cross. 
And see, in, in less than a week, everyone turned his back on Jesus. But in that moment, Jesus knew he needed to be seen. But even more than that, I think he also wanted people to truly, truly understand, believe, and know who he was. Because even on that day, though the people were loving Jesus, the next, as I said, they would turn their back around. They would desire for him to die on the cross rather than to live. They would trade him for Barabbas, a traitor and a murderer. But Christ became more than anyone was expecting because he not only brought hope to those who were expecting something else, but he brought hope to those who were against him. See, walking into the city, each person, he knew their circumstance, he knew their difficulty, and he knew the difficulty they would have in accepting who he was. But he became more than what they expected. He became in such a way that we are now able to have a relationship with him. Luke 19, 41 says, When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. See, Jesus wept over those who wouldn't turn. He wept over those who didn't understand, who didn't believe, because he loved. And he died for them. He died for those who persecuted him and all the rest. And he knew each and every one who was in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus, knowing who you are, who I am, who people were in the past, and who people will be, doesn't only mean that he knows. See, he was more than what we expected, and so therefore, he also expects more of you and me. He's not only knowing, but he is further calling us. See, Jesus knows and knew how people were going to react to him. But further, he knows what each and every single person needs. So for those of us who call Christ our Lord and Savior, he calls you to be a light in the world. See, if Christ understood that people did not understand who he was all in the same way, and he still calls them, would he not expect us to be a light not only in action, but also in word and in knowledge. So we have resources of technology. We have, you know, reason of books. We have people to talk to and discuss. And our weakest point of understanding isn't our own, our own perspective. That's our story. That's how we're able to reach people. But I think our weakest point sometimes can be that we forget that we need to learn. We forget that we need to stretch and grow and allowing ourselves to, to bring our story and our perspective in such a way that is able to reach more people than only those who are able to talk to on a day-to-day -day basis. See, an understanding of others and a further understanding of how they view the world opens up doors to showing them that Christ knows them. Christ loves them, that he knew them before they even heard about him at all, before they were even born.
And we can be a light, but not only a light that shows, but a light that is also truth. A light and truth, true truthfulness that is able to show others the light, even from their own view, not only our own. And to the person who might be following Jesus' teaching without believing, to those who believe all roads go the same, to those who are questioning everything, to the person that's walking through the motions. Jesus knew you before you knew him. He loved you so much that he died for you. To those in Jerusalem, he walked knowing the situation that they were in. He even knew that those who were closest to him were going to betray him. But Jesus still died for them, and he died for you. He leaves himself open to you. Jesus knew, and he is waiting. He's knocking on the door, waiting for you with his arms wide open. So continue to look, continue to ask questions, because he knew you and died for you before you even knew him. So Christ entered into Jerusalem with many people cheering him on. But Jesus came into the city representing something else completely. He knew each and every single person in the crowd. And he died for all of them and he died for all of us. And he leaves himself open for you to look. He challenges us to look. He challenges us to look and take that next step just like the disciples did. He needs us to learn. Just as he knew what was going on with everyone in that city, Christ also calls us to be a light, to be like Christ and to show them who he is. But our whole motivation and our whole need and the whole point of Palm Sunday is that, yes, Jesus walked triumphantly in, but he knew, he knew every single person there and he died for every single one of them because he knew you before you knew him. So let's just pray as we close today. Um, dear God we just thank you so much for who you are we thank you so much for what you've done for us we thank you that you walked in knowing we thank you that you've walked into our lives knowing us before we knew you God that you were always there with your arms wide open For those of you, if you have not had Jesus in your life yet and you are interested in looking or maybe you're open to believing in him today, let's just pray this prayer together. Dear God, I just thank you for what you've done for me. I acknowledge that you knew me before I knew you. I know 
that I have sinned. But I ask for you to forgive me and to come into my heart. So God, we just thank you so much for each and every individual watching. That you are so good and you are so holy, God, that you brought your son down into this world to die so we could have a relationship with you. I pray, Lord, as we go into this week that you would allow each person to just remember to pursue you more, to take that step that they might be afraid of taking God to just continue to learn more and more and more and find ways, God, to interact with those who don't know you yet. So thank you for that, God. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your blessing. In your name, amen. So thank you, Egamont Church family, for watching. See you.